Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. I told Pastor Robin in the first service how much I enjoy uh, when he prays, uh, as he often does. Uh, he quotes a, um, a Christian leader from the past in a, in a prayer, in this case, St. Patrick. So thank you, uh, Pastor Robin. It looks like you and the young people um, may have been warned about the sermon. So, uh, <laughs> okay, good. Pastor Nancy, nice to have you back after a little break. And uh, nice to have all of you joining us today. So glad to have you worshiping. I think the great image in the scripture of what church is and beyond is the family of God. And it's so uh, wonderful to celebrate with the family. Um, We have with us a very special person today, Elias Camo. Elias, please stand if you would. Um, Elias is the uh, World Concern Africa director. So he is responsible for the work that goes on over there. I know especially Kenya, Uganda, Chad, I believe, are some of the main countries. So welcome. It's an honor to have you with us today. Speaking of world concern, uh, last Sunday we took an offering for the earthquake victims in Turkey and Syria, and we're working with world concern to distribute those funds. I realize not all of you were aware of it last week, um, so we've had an opportunity to give on our website. Um, If you would like to give today, you can put it in the offering box where our regular tithes and offerings go, but just make sure you you mark a check that it's for Ukraine. Also, you can uh, give online for Ukraine. beg your pardon. You can do that too. We've been giving to Ukraine, uh, but in this case for Turkey and for Syria, for earthquake victims. Uh, and then um, uh, during the week too, if, you, if you'd use uh, your, your bank online, you can uh, send a check. But again, just make sure you let us know um, what, it is, uh, what it is for. Well, uh, we uh, have our hearts going out to, uh, to Kurt. Kurt, it's amazing that you're here. Jan just went to be with the Lord on Monday evening, I think about 9 o'clock, and uh, it's uh, so good to see you. Kurt and Jan have been a part of the North Sound family almost from the very beginning, and uh, Jan had a role uh, doing a grief class, I remember well, and have been uh, engaged in the family, and so uh, may the Lord be with you, and may um, you all remember uh, remember. Uh, Kurt in prayer at this time. I'm going to ask uh, John Campbell to come forward. We're also going to pray for uh, John this morning. I have to tell you, I'm, I'm so proud of our elders and our congregation, and uh, John may, you know, may, may blush when I say that, but this is an amazing individual, and one of the things that John has done that has been so valuable to us as a fellowship, to you and to me, is during COVID, he has been here almost every Sunday, rare exceptions, and has anchored our ushering and our welcoming, our greeting folks. And folks, COVID, as you know, has been brutal. I mean, there was a time where we were very few of us were spread out in this congregation, in this room, with masks, and we could hardly sing, and we could hardly hear each other. It was hard, but, but John was faithfully here through all that time, and uh, I appreciate that. But the reason for calling him up for prayer is that um, John has a PhD degree in cognitive psychology, 
and is an expert on the, the inside of cars and crashes and uh, why crashes happen and how to avoid them. And this week, he is going to Washington and speaking to the National Academy of Science on crashes and what is going on with them and how we can improve it. So essentially, he's working on the safety of all of us at a, at a very high level. And so I want for us to uh, take just a moment and pray for John. He's been working on this particular project for two years, but has had actually a lifetime in this field working in this area. And this meeting in Washington is a very important one. So we want God's uh, peace for him, clarity of thought, and uh, <clears throat> for all of us, uh, some great results. So would you stand with me? And if you're comfortable, stretch out your hand towards John, and we are going to uh, pray for him. Lord, I thank you so much for John and Leanne, for their place in the family of God here at North Sound Church and also in your kingdom. And Lord, as we speak of anointing, we pray for your Holy Spirit as we know abides in John's heart as your follower. We pray that your Holy Spirit would quicken John as he prepares and then as he shares um, that you would grant him favor and give him wisdom, help him to remember the many things that he has studied. And pray, Lord, that it would work out well for those that attend as well as for all of us who benefit from these who work on safety for each one of us in our vehicles. So, Lord, we thank you for John, his place in the family. Bless him as he goes now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, John. You may be seated. Well, again, uh, welcome. It's great to, uh, great to see you all, and today we will jump together into the Word. This is the last sermon in the series, and uh, Casey has said she's disappointed that the series is done as we have been talking about worship uh, and the five words of worship. We began with what word? Anybody remember? Abba, and that talked about God being close to us, the imminence of God. And uh, then we moved on after talking about Alba and Daddy, that kind of a close relationship. We talked about Hallelujah, and that talked about God's transcendence. Yeah, so God being um, Almighty God and how we notice God's transcendence, some of us in the, the beauty around us. We had some guests here in town this week, and I had to, they're from out of town, and I had to explain to them that that um, there's a beautiful mountain range over here called the Olympics and another beautiful mountain range over here called the Cascades because you had to take it on faith, right? Uh, on a day like today and yesterday, you just, uh, you can't see it. But when we do see them, it makes us think of God. For me, a cathedral does that. Going into some of those great British cathedrals or French cathedrals and looking up and uh, just walking in the door makes you think about the transcendence of God. Then we talked about the amen or the honor Amen. And we said that had to do with, <laughs> Casey, I think we're going to do this series again <laughs> right away. Yeah. Um, that has to do with truth. So it's the truth of saying um, that we agree. So when we say amen to a prayer, Pastor Robin prayed, and when we said the amen, we're basically saying amen, we agree, that's truth. But we also said that Jesus is the amen in Scripture. He's identified that way, which means he is truth, 
And so um, when we speak of the amen, we speak of the truth of what we believe as followers of Jesus Christ. And then last week we talked about Hosanna, and Hosanna, there were two words on a sign on Philadelphia Church in Ballard that said, oh, that's good, I, I, I was way too big of a hint for you, but... Hosanna, we talked about Jesus saves, and we talked about different perspectives on what salvation means, what it means to be saved. Uh, And so today now we are on Maranatha or Maranatha, depending on your uh, pronunciation of this word. Once again, a reminder, every one of these words is transliterated into the English from the Aramaic. So it kind of bypassed the Greek in which the New Testament is written, and the writers of the New Testament kept those words in Aramaic, and now we have them in English. They just came right through from what Jesus would have spoken Aramaic. So this is actually the word, the words that Jesus would have said uh, as, um, as he spoke Aramaic, translated into Greek, except for these words, which were... Uh, which were Aramaic words and a few others uh, in the New Testament. It's important that you know that, even though it sounds sort of like English grammar, it's important because the authenticity of these words being so close to the original by being transliterated and not actually actually, uh, translated but transliterated. uh, Jack helped us this morning in the scripture reading because he inserted the word Maranatha at the right point in the scripture reading uh, because the newer translations do in fact translate the word, uh, but the King James Version, instead of saying, O Lord, come, actually says Maranatha. So um, uh, Jack said, do you want me to kind of put that in there? So um, if you think that's heretical, talk to to Jack afterwards, but I thought uh, that would be helpful for us understanding uh, what, that, uh, what that meant. So this word is only used once in the Bible, and I don't know if I've ever really preached on a sermon that, only, that has a, a sermon based upon only one word in the Scripture, but this is actually a very powerful word. Scholars believe it has a couple of meanings. Its first expression, O Lord, come, is kind of an expression of praise for the fact that in the beginning uh, of the life of Christ, he came as a baby in Bethlehem, and so there was his first coming to us. And so when we say Maranatha, we recognize the fact that Jesus came and he left his Holy Spirit with us. But it also is looking forward to the future and the cry of our heart to say, O Lord, come. I think uh, as we get older in life, I've noticed since I was a very young person, I've noticed that older people uh, have a tendency to look more longingly towards the second coming. And I think that as we get older, we would prefer Jesus to come back than go through the experience of death. But either way, it's Maranatha, either way, the Lord comes into our lives. Jan has the joy of not dealing with her physical circumstances anymore, but uh, is able to have fellowship with the Lord. And so this expresses that longing that comes into our hearts to be with the Lord. So in this series, we've talked about the closeness of the Lord, but here we're going to talk more about this desire of our heart that says, come, O Lord. And it introduces us to what is called eschatology. I know it's a 
what is a 25 cent word, it's a big word, but what it means is essentially the last thing. So eschatology is the study of how things are going to happen in the end. And so what does it mean when we speak of this word Maranatha as an expression of worship? What are we saying? So there are thresholds in our lives. There are, there are times in our lives when we, we make a decision and we cross over a threshold like a, a door, the threshold of a door, and we take a step and uh, we, we, can't, we can't really look back anymore. So marriage is one of those. With North Sound, we believe that marriage is God's design for a man and a woman in a lifelong relationship. That's our sense of our understanding of marriage. And when that happens, there's a step taken across the threshold, and God's design would be for us not to look back. It fundamentally changes the rest of our lives. A career can be like that. Those of you that went into engineering um, and have gone to work at at Boeing or uh, some other company, um, chances are you are going to spend your career with where you have trained. Now, I know that in life people change jobs, but in fact, when you choose a career, it's often the case that at least the broader career we, we stay with. Our articulation of Maranatha is one of those thresholds, and that's about whether we really believe it or not. Can we really say the words in truth, meaning them in our lives, Maranatha? Do we, in fact, recognize that faith is something everybody should have? And so it's different than simply adding a little faith to our lives. I'm sure that Elias can tell us stories about how uh, fundamental it is in certain places. I know Chad especially has been such a difficult place. And you have to really want to be a Christian and it affects your daily life. And the challenge we have in America with the good life that we have is that we add a little Christian faith and a little fire insurance, if you know what I mean, to our faith and then we live our lives much like anybody else except we've added this little piece over here. And Maranatha says that doesn't work. That's not how this works. Maranatha says it has to fundamentally change the nature of how we live. So when we say, oh, Lord, come, it means that I'm looking forward to what lies ahead. One day I will be with him forever. And if we say it with meaning, it affects the way we live every day. The story is told, in fact, of an African individual who, excuse me, in 1980, found himself in a situation where he needed to renounce his faith or face death. I have on the wall in uh, in my office here in the Little White Church um, a picture of the North African martyrs. You may recall the tragedy of ISIS picking up these people and beheading, there was, I don't know, 10, 12 of them that were beheaded. It was a, a terrible, tragic event. And they, they, they chose not to renounce their faith. They chose, instead of having their life, to follow Jesus. This individual was the same. He refused to renounce Christ. He was killed on the spot. But the night before He was killed, Uh, he wrote something, and afterwards it was found in his room and expresses the radical nature of the commitment we take on 
when we say we want to be a follower of Jesus Christ and mean it. This is what he said in this piece of prose. He said, I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his, and I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm done and finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed vision, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right or first or tops or recognized or praised or rewarded. I live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, lift by prayer, and labor by the Holy Spirit's power. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road may be narrow, my way rough, my companions few, but my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I will not be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of adversity. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I will not give up, shut up, or let up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must give until I drop, preach until all I know all I know and work until he comes, and when he does come for his own, he'll have no problems recognizing me. My colors will be clear. Friends, Maranatha is an articulation of faith that says the coming of Jesus the first time and our intense yearning and looking forward to him coming the second time changes how we live our lives. I like the way Stan Grenz puts it in Regarding the importance of looking at the fulfillment of history, he says eschatology is a call to action in the present. Sunday, February 19th, 2023. Eschatology, O Lord, come, Maranatha, is a call today, right now, to action in the present based upon God's future. He mentions three callings, and I want to share those with you broadly. What does God's future call us to? I also encourage, uh, for those of you that are the, the type that like to dig deeper, uh, Tom Wright, N.T. Wright's book, The Day the Revolution Began, talks about this as well. And what it says is that those of us that may have grown up in an environment where you would get saved, and then the best thing that could happen to you was to get hit by a bus and go to heaven right away so you didn't sin and blow it, that for those of us that thought that way, we missed completely the idea that we are saved not to wait for heaven, but to join the revolution and to engage our lives in the present for the work of the kingdom. We have become revolutionaries. We have joined the revolution. So the three things I want to share with you. The first is God's future calls us to share the good news. Matthew 24 is a chapter, but it's kind of like the book of Revelation. It's like the book of Revelation in many and we read in verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So if the good news of the kingdom is going to be preached, 
before the Lord comes back, we got a big job to do, and it's not done yet. In spite of technology, in spite of media, in spite of everything, we have in our congregation, um, again, we're so blessed with all of you. You are amazing individuals, and I, I, I wish there was a way of telling your story. I think we need to get back to having more testimonies and interviewing folks, so I'll, I'm going to try to do that in the future, but um, David Matty is a part of our congregation, and David is a Wycliffe Bible translator, and David is translating the language of a tribal group in Indonesia. And David is able to do it. In fact, I, I told David this morning, you took, your, you took your cap off, David. I told him this morning, he looks more like a missionary pilot than what I imagine a professorial um, Bible translator. But, but, but David is explicitly working on this commandment or, or this direction from the scripture, which is that, is that everybody needs to hear the gospel. And so he's translating for this tribal group to be able to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the fundamental reasons for the establishment of North Sound Church was to carry forward the good news to the people of South South Snohomish and North King County. And together, we're planting a thousand churches in northern India. So what does it mean for us to share the good news in light of the coming of the kingdom of God, a, a coming that's both here and now, but also not yet, where we look forward to the future and its completion I think it's uh, important for us to know that we've now come to a time where how we share the gospel is critical. Pastor Allen is here somewhere. Uh, Pastor Allen is in the back, and Pastor Allen and I were working together on the same church team in the late 1980s, and at Christmas time, Pastor Allen put on a musical extravaganza that went on for two weekends, and we would see Pastor Allen, 12,000 people come through at Christmas time. And in those days, there would be an altar call by the pastor, and people would come forward, many people would come forward to commit their lives to Jesus. What's the difference between then and now? Well, one of the things that's happened is that people don't have the furniture anymore. Back in the 1980s, most Americans had at least Christian furniture. Most of them either had Christian parents or they had been to Sunday school, but there there was some some understanding of the basics of the Christian faith, even if they didn't follow it in their lives. So when they were quickened by the Spirit in an outreach like that, they filled the altars and responded. Now people don't have the furniture. Earlier this week, uh, I was in my study when police car after police car after police car came down our street and stopped right in front of our house. Four of them, lights flashing. And uh, so we opened the door uh, so we could find out what, what was going on. And two houses down on the other side of the street, the folks were going through a very difficult time. A six-year-old uh, granddaughter and her mother live with her uh, this woman's father and mother who are probably in their 70s or 80s. And the little girl in sixth grade um, took, a, took a knife uh, and threatened her grandfather. And so it was serious enough, they called the police, and now the little girl is, uh, is in Swedish Edmunds Hospital in the psychiatric unit. And uh, the lady that was the lady of the home 
sent, sent me an email. I, I'm not sure how she got the email address. She would have known, they would have known I was a pastor, so maybe they went to the church and whatever, but sent an email and said, um, our granddaughter did this. This is what's going on in our lives. She said we're, you know, essentially she said we're desperate. And then she proceeded to say, we need all the prayers we could get, we can get, so please pray for us. She said, my mother or grandmother used to say we need to storm heaven. Now, three generations of this family have no relationship with church. And yet somehow she remembered from her history about storming heaven for prayer. Things have changed because people don't know. Three generations don't know about storming heaven for prayer. They don't know what it means to walk with Jesus. They don't have the furniture. So this little girl hasn't the foggiest idea that God loves her and cares for her and wants the best for her life. No idea. And the challenge that we have is that, is that unfortunately in the recent um, the, the recent things that have happened through COVID and elsewhere, the Christian faith is not looked upon as being winsome. It's not looked upon as being something that maybe I want to be a part of because so many people are seeing political associations first instead of Jesus Christ first. And so the challenge that we face as a local church is how do we reach out to people? And, and, and quite frankly, friends, the, 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 the big altar calls just don't work because our people have left. That's long gone. If we're going to win people, it has to be through relationship, and it takes time. And all of us need in our lives to begin to develop relationships with people that don't know Jesus. We don't have the luxury of simply living in a Christian cocoon with people that already love the Lord. I like the way Brennan Manning puts it in the signature of Jesus. He said, let us present to the world an image of a servant community and let us preserve the beauty of the gospel, not with showy, defensive fervor, but with an intense interior life of prayer and worship service and a manner of living, and a manner of living that can only be explained in terms of God. A manner of living that can only be explained in terms of a relationship with God. What does that mean? Well, that means that it's who we are. It's who we have become in Christ that will be the best witness to our neighbors, to our unchurched friends, to our unchurched work associates. There are no shortcuts anymore. Our Lord wants folks to respond to the good news and have transformed lives. And the question that we all have to ask is, what difference does North Sound Church make to the 300,000 people in North King and South Snohomish counties who are missing friends who don't know the Lord? If you've been at North Sound long, you know that one of my favorite stories that illustrates what we can do individually in a time when we're not seeing massive people coming to the Lord. What can we do? Well, how can we make a difference individually? Well, you may recall the story of the storm, that terrible storm that washed up thousands of starfish onto the shore. And Unlike our climate here, it was a hot climate, and the starfish were in very much in danger of 
perishing with the heat of the sun. And an individual was watching this from up above on the beach, and he saw what had happened, but he saw a lone figure down by the water reaching down and grabbing a starfish and throwing it in, or reaching down and throwing it in. And he thought, this guy's crazy. And he went down to talk to him, and he said, man, I appreciate what you're doing, but um, you're not, you're not, you're not going to make a difference. And the fellow acknowledged the presence of this individual who was offering advice, but as he acknowledged him, he reached down, grabbed another starfish and threw it and said, makes a difference to that one. Makes a difference to that one. And friends, things have changed. And if we're going to see our nation return to the Lord, it's likely going to be by us building relationship and living the kind of life that God would have us to live. Maranatha calls us to share the good news whether they come by the hundreds at a time or whether our life and relationship is the only resource our neighbors have to know Jesus. The second thing I want to suggest is God's future calls us to holiness. A little later in Matthew 24, Jesus speaks of the importance of right living in terms of his return. Verse 45, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find, do, what, whom, whom his master will find do, so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him to pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The association of right living and the return of the Lord is expressed in 1 Peter 4, verses 7 to 11. The end of all things, Peter says, is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by strength that God supplies, in order that everything God may that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Maranatha radically affects the way we live our lives today. It's a call to holiness, a call to purity. And it recognizes what's really important for the long haul. The words of St. Francis are particularly important when he says, keep a clear eye towards life's end. Do not forget your purpose and destiny as God's creature. What you are in his sight is what you are and nothing more. Remember that when you leave this earth, you can take nothing that you have received, including symbols of honor, trappings of power, but only what you have given, a full heart enriched by honest service, love, sacrifice, and courage. Friends, why is holiness and purity so important in our lives? It's because they provide deliverance in our lives for those things which would control us. Holiness gives us true freedom in our lives, the freedom to align our lives with the eternal values of the Lord who is coming again. Friends, does character matter in our lives? 
Yes, it does. Does character matter in the lives of those who lead us, whether sacred or secular? You bet it does. The third and final thing I want to suggest is that God's future calls us to be courageous and steady. Matthew 25 is a continuation of this emphasis of of Maranatha, of the last things in Matthew 24. Jesus tells us what has become known as the parable of the talents. He recognizes and honors the servants who make the most of the talents they're given. Verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me the five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, and he who had uh, two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. And when and hid your talent in the ground, here you have what is yours. But the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your neighbor is, your labor is not in vain. As I close this morning, I want to share another quotation from uh, Brennan Manning. He talks about the courage it takes for us to risk all for our faith. He said, in pensive moments, I wonder if I really have the courage to risk everything for the gospel of grace and accept the total sufficiency of Christ's redeeming work. My futile attempts at self-improvement, the sadness that I am not yet perfect, the boasting about my victories in the vineyard, vineyard, my sensitivity to criticism and lack of self-acceptance belie my profession of faith, Jesus is Lord. He says this false sense of self brimming with pride and pretense must die if we are to live. The constant challenge in the life we call Christian is the translation of what we believe into our day-to-day lifestyle, and that's risky business. In retrospect, the landmark moments in my life are not the gross sins I committed, nor the infrequent acts of heroic virtue I performed, but a handful of decisions that involved risk. The decision to seek ordination to the priesthood, to join the little brothers of Jesus, to live in a cave, to seek help for my addiction to alcohol, to marry. On the last day when we stand before the risen Christ, each of us will be the sum of our choices. Each of us will be the sum of our choices. He concludes, in season and out of season, in success and failure, in grace and disgrace, the courage to risk everything on the signature of Jesus is the mark of authentic discipleship. In the words of Winston Churchill, success is never final. Failure is never fatal. 
It's courage that counts. Maranatha, knowing that the Lord is present with us and the Lord is coming again should give us the courage to risk our lives for his kingdom. Perhaps some of you have heard of Sister Wendy Beckett. Art experts around the world discovered this woman. She was a nun in a contemplative order who knew a great deal about art. It turns out Sister Wendy lived in a plywood trailer in the grounds of a Carmelite convent. Most of her day was spent in prayer, but she allowed two hours for work. She translated medieval Latin manuscripts and studied art from postcard, postcard reproductions. And someone at the British Broadcasting Corporation, the BBC, got the idea of taking Sister Wendy to the great art museums of the world and filming her encounter with the original artworks for the first time. She was not a made-for-TV model. She wore a full-length habit, and doing so, she had uh, her glasses and the habit and everything. She was kind of like a, a frumpy uh, presentation, and she didn't have the markings of a television star, and yet that's exactly what happened. She became a star. On the BBC and then on the PBS network in the United States, Sister Wendy became a hit. Her books were bestsellers until she passed away in 2018. In spite of her success, Sister Wendy lived in her trailer, gave eight to ten hours a day to contemplative prayer. She had no television or newspaper she thought would detract from her prayer life. She chose to give her attention to God. Philip Yancey speaks of watching her programs and coming away with a sense that she sees art with two different eyes. He spoke of the fact that she has one eye that catches the brush strokes, the color, and the design, but the other eye, trained by a life of prayer, looks beyond to the depictions of angels, biblical figures, the Trinity, which offer a portal, a, a gateway to the spiritual realm with which she is also very familiar. Philip Yancey writes, I envy Sister Wendy's stereoscopic vision for all to easily revert to a false division uh, between the natural and the spiritual. The religious artwork she illuminates bring those words, worlds together. Abraham expressed his faith by packing his bags and moving. David administered a kingdom. Jesus pounded nails on a carpenter's bench. Paul made friends, sewed tents, planned journeys, and raised funds for the poor in Jerusalem. Through such ordinary deeds, the kingdom of God advanced. What they did mattered less than why and for whom. In creation, in incarnation, in all acts on earth, God hollows the ordinary. He goes on to say, every day, the city of this world tempts us to lust, to consume, to exploit, to dominate. Every act of resistance is a victory for the city of God, affecting life in both worlds at once. Let us not become weary in well-doing, said Paul, who was likely writing to himself as much as to us, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Friends, Maranatha, the Lord is with us. 
and we look forward to his coming. And the truth of that should affect the way we live our lives every day. My brother John called one day. He had been in Alaska on business, and he got a business card uh, from a colleague up there, and the business card had the typical name, address, phone number, etc. But the business card also had a tagline, and he wanted his preacher little brother to see that tagline, and the tagline said these words, strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. We know the hymn well. And that sounds like a great summary of Maranatha to me. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your blessing in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for the reality of your presence, for what you mean to us. And we thank you, Lord, for these words of worship. And I pray now, Lord, in each one of our lives, you would help us to understand how Maranatha, our Lord come, changes our life each day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.